coming up next on The Health Hustle. Like if I had known when I was, say, 14 and going out for cross country that one day I would be doing running related stuff as a profession, I think I probably would have like overthought it and made a bunch of mistakes that would have ruined the learning aspect of it or like the gradual aspect to it. So when you're young and early, try not to overthink too much stuff. And I think that's going to keep you curious and keep you open-minded enough to see the opportunities a little bit better, or maybe let the opportunities come to you when, when you're ready for them versus trying to get into them too soon. I think I see that a lot where someone decides, oh, I want to be that person or I want to be that thing. And that drives them so much. They start to force things that they're not ready for, that people they're trying to force it on aren't ready for them at, and then it ends up backfiring on them. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On the show, we break down the big ideas from your fellow healthcare and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Corey Hibben. On this episode, I had a chance to sit down with my guy, Zach Bitter. I actually met Zach at KetoCon here in Austin, and right away, I knew that he was somebody that I had to bring onto the show. Zach is an endurance athlete and coach. He has broken multiple world records in ultramarathon running and uses that knowledge to coach other athletes. He's also a fellow Midwestern boy, originally from Wisconsin. He's been featured on other podcasts like Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman, where they talk more about his training protocols. But on this interview, we talk more about the business and marketing side of what he does. Some of the things that we get into on this episode are what got him to take the leap into entrepreneurship, how he was able to grow his coaching business, why he decided to split ways with his co-host on his podcast show, the importance of consistency when creating content, finding time to disconnect and recharge, why he wants more in-person coaching, which is why he came to Austin, Texas, the sacrifices he makes as a business owner, his biggest mistake, his next running adventure, um, hint, Forrest Gump, a rapid fire question round, and so much more. If you haven't already, do us a huge favor and please subscribe and write us a review. This show is about helping healthcare and fitness professionals to build a business that fits their lifestyle by giving us a review that helps other people find the show and join us on the journey. If you're looking for simple and actionable tips on how to market and grow your health business, click the link in the description and sign up for my 3 Tips Tuesday newsletter. 3 tips every Tuesday to help you keep those leads coming. Also, if you need help with building your website, I offer a free website audit that you can find at coreyhigh.com. Without further ado, let's go! I'm excited. I normally have a pun... For the beginning of the show, maybe you could jog my memory. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to ask me if I ran here at first, but <laughs> it's like, no, it's summer. It's like 110 degrees out there. <laughs> um, so you have been on a lot of other shows and have gone deep in the depths about ultra marathon running, the nutrition, the training, everything about that. You mm-hmm. were obviously an expert on that with a long history of competing and setting records and just coaching people. And so you know a lot about that. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do on this episode, just for the benefit of the audience, and hopefully just like mixing up the conversations you've had on the show, is talk more about the business and marketing and what you're actually doing underneath all of that. Because obviously the forefront of everything you do is like you're an ultra marathon runner Mm -hmm. and people seem to know you for that. I want to kind of get a layer deeper than that. And I think a good place to start with this is honestly is how did you even just initially make that transition from going from a teacher, which I know you used to do back up in the Midwest because we're both Midwest boys. Yeah. I mean, going from a teacher and deciding finally, okay, maybe I can actually make a career or a business out of this. What did that look like? I, I guess I didn't plan on it is the easiest way to start with that one. I think, uh, you know, I was a runner most of my life and then uh, knew I loved it, knew it was like a way I could challenge myself physically and a way I could compete and things like that, even outside of like the collegiate setting and things like that. So I kind of continued to run after I finished college uh, when I started teaching 
with with no real aspirations of that being a career of, of any shape or form. Then uh, once I kind of got into my teaching career, I think I was maybe two years into it or so, I started having some race results that got me a little bit of attention uh, with uh, with the, the running community, I guess, more or less. And sort of along that same time, ultra running started to grow quite a bit. There was some catalysts there with like a book called Born to Run and a guy named Dean Karnasis did a lot of kind of big uh like business related like pr stuff around his running and some of the adventures he had done and things like that and found himself like on the late night show and things like that so that sort of put the sport into the to the living room of a lot of households maybe would otherwise never thought that there was races behind a marathon and yeah so as the sport kind of grew and i started to put up results I started having people that I either knew through the running community or had heard of me for one reason or the other reach out and ask if I coached. And, you know, I, I coached as like, you know, middle school and high school track and cross country and things like that. And I obviously kind of had an idea of just kind of the methodologies and the different training techniques and things like that. So I thought, you know, I'm coach a few buddies and, and kind of just see how that goes. And uh, it started to kind of uh, spiral a bit where uh, between just, you know, weekends, summer vacation, things like that, I was able to build up a, a decent list of coaching clients that I had around 2015. And that got to a point where it was starting to build up and it was getting a little more challenging to kind of fit everything in between training, racing, teaching full time, and then managing coaching clients and things like that. So uh, I started kind of thinking about like, well, you know, I wonder what it would look like to, you know, change careers which was kind of scary for me at first because you know i spent five years acquiring this this teaching certification and license and things like that and you know all the hoops and stuff you go through and finding a job and getting those references and doing a good enough job where you can find the spot where you want to be and all that stuff so i was probably a little more tepid about pulling a trigger on that my last year teaching uh i ended up co-teaching with another guy uh we were both uh teaching he was i think he was just special ed, but I was dual certified, so I could do regular and special ed. So I kind of was bouncing around a lot more from one spot to the next as they kind of needed me. But uh, he had a kind of really interesting background. He had got his teaching license on an emergency license in Southern California. And uh, he and his wife ended up moving up to Madison, Wisconsin, where I was living at the time and teaching. His wife was getting her, her PhD at UW-Madison, so he was looking for a job along the way. And I mean, he was applying everywhere. He had applications in at Target and like at school districts and everywhere. And <laughs> uh, he almost took a job at Target, I think, before getting the offer to, to teach special ed at Clark Street Community School with me. And he was an interesting person because at that point, like I kind of had a bit of a stereotype, I guess, of what like a teacher looks like. And he sort of bucked a lot of those trends. I mean, he would wear like these black uh, Dickies pants and a black t-shirt and a hat like every day. And, uh, but had a really unique teaching style that really resonated with the kids. So he was just a really interesting person to kind of watch and learn, you know, alternative ways of like kind of engaging students and getting them to where, where they need to be and making them understand like, maybe you don't like this now, but these are some steps that you might want to take them to better your life down the road and that sort of stuff. And he was also a professional drummer. So uh, he had definitely bounced around a lot, was no stranger to, you know, betting on himself, so to speak, or taking advantage of opportunities when they come and not overthinking it. And so I was just talking to him one day about kind of how things were developing between my coaching business, getting some athlete sponsorships starting to show up and things like that. And I, I mentioned to him, like, you know, I'd probably benefit from moving out west from a training and racing standpoint but I think I'll probably teach a little bit longer and just kind of make sure I'm in the right spot to do it. And he's like, 
you idiot, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I remember when, when he kind of like, he, he kind of nudged me that direction. And at the end of that school year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take this, this opportunity and, uh, see what happens. And I, you know, I looked at it as kind of, I need to race well for a few years in order to really build, build a business around myself that can be sustainable outside of just training and racing, or it won't work. So I knew I had like roughly a three-year timeline to kind of start that and get it going in the direction I wanted to, and then see if I could kind of re-up at the end of three years. And uh, so it's sort of been like, all right, let's try this again. Let's try this or keep trying and keep trying. And as long as it keeps working, let's keep going with it. And so far I've been really fortunate where, you know, between race results at the right time, building coaching, building a podcast, being active on social media and things like that, you kind of put yourself in a position where opportunities are kind of more more available for someone who's kind of living the lifestyle I am. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said and to take away from that in the sense of just like being willing to kind of put yourself out there and realize what is energetically exciting you right now is like, mm -hmm. obviously, you seem to have reached that point in teaching where like, yeah, it was fine. It was paying the bills. But like, really, what mm -hmm. seemed to obviously get you excited was more like the races and the running and the training and the nutrition. And you're seeing that more and more now in today's world, which is kind of a cool time to be in is that mm -hmm. when you really lean into the things that are energetically exciting to you is that like, it'll take time, but eventually, Eventually, it seems like most of those things turn into something. I remember listening to, if you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, mm -hmm. and he was like doing all these things where he was going to garage sales and like buying random stuff and <laughs> selling it on eBay. And I remember he found like a set of uh, salt and pepper shakers and he looked it up on eBay and like this salt and pepper shaker was going for like hundreds of dollars. And they're like, who the hell is buying salt and, <laughs> salt and pepper shakers for $100? And he goes, salt and pepper shaker collectors, duh. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like there's a yeah. market for everything now and it's crazy. You reminded me, I had a buddy in, in high school and a few years after who uh, he was like super into video games, knew everything about all of them. And he, he would go into this pawn shop because they would have games there and he'd be looking for like rare ones or ones that are hard to find. And I mean, they'd be you know, just selling them for cheap usually. And he went in there once and there was like this really rare game and they had like four of them. And uh, he went and he bought all of them. He's like, oh, cool, I'm going to buy these for like three bucks each and then resell them for like $75 each. So he does that and he comes back in and the guy who owned the place started kind of picking up on what he's doing. So anytime he'd come and try to buy a game, the guy would be like, wait a second, he'd go and look it up to make sure it wasn't <laughs> worth way more than, than, than he was listening it for. <laughs> yeah, that's, I literally just posted about this today about like, I don't feel like there's any shortage of opportunities anymore. I think the challenge people deal with is staying focused on something mm -hmm. long enough to see yeah. it become fruition. So let's get into that a little bit with you, which is kind of the direction I want to go with this conversation is like, okay, so you're doing the teaching thing. You had somebody basically call you an idiot and say like, why aren't you running more? <laughs> um, and you decided to take that journey. So can you kind of break that down? Like, what did that look like for you? You just like up and left your job and just started purely focusing on running or what did you do exactly? Yeah. So there's a little bit of crossover. Kind of like I said, like I had started the coaching business. So that was starting to generate some income and really like I was at a point where more time meant more clients. So I could ramp that up a little bit. Then uh, I was starting to have some athlete sponsorships that were coming in that were able to kind of offset the, the income I would have had as a teacher, which was definitely helpful. And then it was just like, I mean, the hard part is it's kind of like you said, you have that structure in kind of a more traditional job where it's like, yeah, they, there's going to be some parameters. There's going to be some scaffolding that you have to kind of follow and you have to stay within. But then at the end of the day, you know, you're going to get that paycheck. You know that it's going to be there for the most part the next year. And there's, there's a certain amount of kind of safety and comfort in that. And then like, you have to make that decision to kind of bet on yourself. 
and decide, okay, well, now the buck stops at my desk a little more exact than it maybe did in the past. I mean, you can always screw up a job and get fired, but like, you know, when, when you're the one where it's clear that if things aren't going well, it's because of something you did, because there's really no one else there that's, that's impacting it. And then, so then it was kind of just thinking like, well, where and how do I bet on myself so that I'm not super vulnerable, but also available enough to be able to capitalize on the things I'm really interested in or on the things that got me here in the first place. So for me, that was the running, you know, without the running, the coaching probably wasn't going to be there, not at the scale it is without the running, like the podcasting and the social media stuff wouldn't probably be there. Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had something to build it off of the way I did. So it's, a lot of it was just, I think like, like with any entrepreneur, you're, you're leaning into the things that are working or, you know, your work, those are going to be kind of like your foundation, your stable the things that are going to kind of help you stay afloat if things aren't going as well as you want, but you got to always be looking for, you know, what that next thing is that you can, you can lean into the help kind of to maintain stability, I guess is the way to say it. So mm. for me, I felt like the opportunities were going to be outside of Wisconsin, at least to start. So uh, I moved out to to California, which basically meant, you know, getting rid of almost everything. I, I stuffed everything I had into a Nissan Versa Note, which is like a little hatchback. And I, I have I have a picture somewhere, probably like the very beginning of my Instagram page. We'll put that uh, in the show notes yeah. for sure. <laughs> you can see it just like <laughs> stuffed to the gills and there's stuff strapped on top of it. I remember driving out west. I hit this like big thunderstorm going through Salt Lake City and I was like, you know, driving like 40 miles an hour and like on the highway and I had to like pull over and there was like that 10 seconds where you couldn't see anything we were like am I gonna like crash into somebody and I have like all this stuff stacked on the top of the roof and things like that and yeah so it was just kind of like starting over to a big degree where it's like I'm gonna move to I ended up moving just out of Sacramento to Davis California and I was kind of in that area Davis Sacramento for about three years just sort of uh, figuring out like you know how this new lifestyle was gonna work and what I needed to do to make it sustainable and and really it was kind of, uh, you know, I, I knew I had about a three-year timeline that I could bet on myself for and then kind of reassess. And if I had to kind of head back to Wisconsin and ask for my job back, I could do that. But it was kind of one of those things where let's try this for three years, see where it goes. If it if it's working well, I'll keep doing it. And I'll just kind of keep re-upping as things progress and keeps growing. And, you know, fortunately for me, I, I for the most part, I mean, there's it's like anything, you know, it's not, it's not a linear or upwards trajectory, but if you zoom out far enough for my career, it, I've had enough of the things happen at the right time and I guess made the right decisions with the right things and had to end up where I'm kind of still here doing it. So <laughs> wait, why did you choose California? Is there just like a big running culture out there or what was the reason? Yeah. You know, at the time, uh, and still, still a lot of that today is the sport grew a ton from about 2010 to today. And it grew a lot within like the mountain trail side of the sport. And we're seeing a lot more of like the road and like the flat running stuff grow as well. But that was like the big catalyst. And there was just a lot more opportunities from races as well as just, you know, the market in California was like a lot more conducive to running with it's like the temperatures being kind of year round. So for both for training as well as doing any sort of like, like, like activations for sponsors and things like that, California was a good spot to kind of position yourself. So that was a good starting point for me there. I think, uh, you know, given where I was at and what I had to all learn and everything like that. How were people finding you at this point? Because you said like it sounds like the backbone of your business at this point was some of the coaching that you were doing and just like sl probably slowly growing the income and the clientele from that. Mm -hmm. Were they just like finding you at the races that you were doing or did were you posting on social media or what, what did that look like for you at that point? Yeah, in the beginning, I was leaning heavy into racing frequently. You know, I would do like six to eight ultra marathons a year. So I was, you know, trying to like 
ping every every couple of months basically there was a race result so that your name kind of stays out there in the community so when people think like well i'm going to hire a coach you know they see my name pop up and then alongside that i was going on a lot of podcasts i was going on as many of them as i could i basically you know, don't didn't say no to any of them and you know if there's one i really liked and listened to you know maybe shoot them a note and say hey would you ever want to have a conversation or something like that and if they're open to it you just kind of keep yourself out there with that and that kind of led into me getting interested in podcasting enough to start my own podcast. So that was kind of like the evolution of that going from just using it as I'm a guest. This is kind of how I tell my story. You know, if a couple of the listeners like really resonate with what I said, you know, I might get a client or two out of the deal. Yeah. So that worked really well. And I think it was just kind of like, how do you sustain that with podcasting growing equally as fast if not faster than ultra marathon running i think that's maybe another thing i lucked out in terms of betting was getting in that kind of outreach side of the equation early social media came a little later i wasn't i mean i'm still probably not in love with social media but i see it definitely as like a great opportunity to connect with people uh, learn from other people see what other people are doing and and then use it for myself too with stuff like that. So I started building that stuff out a little bit more later in it. And once you kind of get all these things going, they do feed into each other. So like social media feeds into the podcast, podcast feeds into social media. They both feed into coaching clients. Uh, and then obviously if you get a pretty good signal boost with any of those things, you start attracting more sponsors. So one of the more interesting things that I think uh, has changed a bit just probably in general, but a lot with ultra running is it's not a big sport and it's not a team sport where like, you know, you have like the big sports like NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB and things like that, where you you sign a big contract with a, with a team. And a lot of those guys, if they're, if they're decent players, have a good career. It's like, that's all they really have to do from a financial standpoint. Whereas with ultra running, you know, you can do it at expense essentially, and uh, be really good if you don't, take a sponsorship teams don't really exist the way they do where you're going to sign a contract to be on a specific team you will sign contracts to have like certain sponsors where you're obligated to use their equipment or whatever it is they're selling which is what you kind of did when i first got in was you know try to find a brand that you really like their product and hope that they like you too so i was really fortunate early on with that too and that definitely helped me be able to kind of supplement the coaching income and eventually podcast income and things like that so i had like a few irons in the fire so to speak that were profitable in a way that i could kind of make that my career versus versus a hobby all of that stuff has just grown and evolved so much in the last 10 years that's probably the big reason why i'm still here if the sport had like stagnated or retracted in that time frame there'd probably be very little interest to hear about some bozo decided to run 100 miles around a track and, <laughs> and then, you know, engage with him online enough where sponsors want to, you know, put their product on you and things like that or listen to your podcast. So um, there's certainly a little bit of just kind of being fortunate that I'm in an era where the sport's growing versus retracting. Yeah, I want to circle back to something you mentioned, which I think would be helpful for the audience is that you kind of have what I often call as like the attention triad of mm-hmm. like you have your social media, your podcast, and then also like the ultra marathon piece that you're doing with it as well. Mm-hmm. Is like because something I was literally just talking to, you see it a lot with other like fitness uh, influencers or like really anybody that's trying to figure out like this like marketing triad piece of like, how do I garner attention? How do I get people to actually reach out and want to have a sponsorship with me or want me to be their coach or whatever it is. I see it a lot of a lot of people are making the mistake of like they're leaning so heavily on just purely the social media side of things mm-hmm. and they're not taking advantage of 
deeper connections. I think about it a lot in my own business in the sense of like, I think social media is great for just like having a large reach of people, but it really doesn't garner the kind of relationship that often leads to coaching, like something like an intimate conversation if somebody listens to your podcast show Mm -hmm. or follows your newsletter or follows your YouTube channel, right? Um, And so like for other people listening to the show who I promise you are trying to create content in some way, shape or form as somebody who's obviously done a podcast now for at least a couple of years now, if not more. Yeah. I think I started in 2017. Okay. Right around there. Oh, wow. So it's been even more than that. Yeah, Five years, I guess. How long do you feel like it took to start noticing like attention? You started gaining traction. Like how long did that take for you? Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is I started the podcast as a co-host. So we had an interesting dynamic. My, my co-host at the time, Dr. Sean Baker was literally the opposite of me in the sense that he's like, like no lie twice as big as I am. And he's like short explosive sport. He's been a professional rugby player. He's an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, he competed in the Highland games. He was like a age group world record holder for like complex two rowing machines and things like that. And we both kind of followed a low carbohydrate diet. So we're like, this is kind of a cool idea where we both have a similar nutrition strategy, but we're both doing completely polar opposite sports. I'm running all day. He's, you know, going for as hard as he can for a minute or something like that. So we did that for, I think it was maybe two years. And then his side of stuff got really big. And, you know, my stuff was still growing at the time too. And it got really hard for us to kind of schedule times where we're, we could both meet at the same time, plus bring in a guest because we were doing mostly guest interviews at the time. So I probably benefited a lot from just having, you know, his expertise and just another person to kind of help navigate um, and just, you know, divide and conquer to a degree too, where it was like, I focused on kind of learning the back end stuff. Like neither of us knew how to edit a podcast. I mean, some of our early episodes have some pretty rough audio quality. <laughs> it's like, you you I know the feeling. Yeah, I know. Right. I have so, plenty. Yeah. And you kind of learn on the fly a little bit, but you know, he probably did a better job than I did about getting the podcast out there into people's, you know, phones and platforms and things like that. Whereas I was going to be the person who kind of like took the, 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 the product that we recorded and edited, uploaded and get it all set and ready to go and that sort of thing. So I can't even imagine what it would have been like to start that on my own. I'm sure I would have made a ton more mistakes, which uh, uh, I'm thankful to not have had to do. But yeah, so we'd, I had a little bit of help, I think, in the beginning to kind of get it out there and grow it. And then, uh, I mean, the hard part, I think, is then when when you do, I mean, we didn't, we, we split because it was just, you know, there's, our, our schedules didn't really match up. Um, other than that, I mean, we, we had a great time doing it. So, you know, but there's going to be the listeners who are there for him or there for me and some are there for both. But you got to kind of navigate that transition of like, okay, I'm definitely going to lose some listeners now because, you know, anyone who's a power athlete and really was there to listen to Sean and maybe the guests that he was choosing are less likely to stick around. And then like, where do I, what do I do to kind of lean into the things that are both interesting to me that I feel comfortable talking about, but as well as try to maintain some of the interests that I had along his side of things. And you'll maintain some of those listeners too, who are, uh, you know, wanting to still kind of tune in. So like that transition was, was, was kind of like that next step with that. But uh, I had it built up big enough at that point too, where it wasn't something that I couldn't really absorb and, and kind of like reset on, I guess. Do you have any advice for other people out there that are business owners, whether they're 
coaches or trainers or chiros or whatever of that industry and they're trying to create content um mm-hmm. obviously you've been doing the podcast thing but like do you have any like overarching messages or lessons you could learn from some of that or people could learn yeah i think what i would recommend is pick one and lean into that one pretty heavy but don't ignore the others so for me like i don't love social media stuff like the instagram twitter type stuff um i don't hate it it's just it's not something that i feel like you know i'm not gonna be the person who says all right i can get lost in hours and hours of laborious activations on one of these programs the way i could with like podcast stuff i could record a podcast then get right into editing it start cutting out snippets and things like that and really just i could spend a whole day doing that and i wouldn't even like bother me one bit whereas if you know, if I have to like do like, or if I'm going to do like an Instagram reel or something like mm. that, I mean, it's fun, but you know, I'm going to get bored with it a lot quicker. So I mean, be honest with yourself about which one of these areas you really actually like, because you're looking for sustainability here. Like you could have like a great setup for a couple of years, but if you hate what you're doing or it's not motivating you, someone is going to be motivated by that and they're going to outwork you there and outperform you. So um, leaning into the one you really like and just mastering that and then let the other ones kind of fall in place with it. So, you know, for me, I think like that's the podcasting side of stuff, whether it be as a guest or as a host, I love going on podcasts as a guest too. Cause I like the long form conversation side of things, uh, versus kind of the shorter snippet stuff that you get on most social media stuff. But you know, those feed into each other now, especially as podcasts have grown. I think social media grew really fast before podcasts did. So there was always this kind of like, well, that's kind of the the sweet spot is social media. Podcasts are kind of this thing goofy people do. And then over the pandemic, it turned into something that almost everyone does, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, you, you have that side of it well as, you know, navigating a much larger database of content out there on the podcasting side. But it, you know, it does benefit to get in there early. So you have kind of that core listener base and some some depth and some experience in it while everyone else is kind of learning and catching up but uh yeah i think my advice there would be like pick one that you really like use that as kind of like your foundation and then pick a couple other ones to kind of bring along for the ride and use as kind of tools tools to kind of assist it and and learn along the way because who knows maybe you'll find out like a new social media app comes out that you tie in and you end up liking that better and lean start leaning into that or phasing that in more heavily and stuff like that so it's just always kind of watching for those opportunities mark my words man i predict that facebook will be dead in the next like two years yes i honestly feel like it's like the new myspace right now there's going to be a new platform there there already is obviously with Mm -hmm. tiktok or whatever there's there's always going to be a new platform but Mm -hmm. so something i wanted just to like double tap on that you mentioned so other people get that message of like choosing the one that you enjoy and you can stick to obviously mm-hmm. spoken like a true ultra marathon yeah. runner of somebody <laughs> who can stick to something for a long time but i think that's so true i tell people all the time of like you really have three choices you have written video and audio right and i don't think they all have their pros and cons i don't think there's a perfect answer i think the perfect answer is the one that you can stick to because it's it's always a long game of like how can you stick with it long enough to kind of see the the fruits bear one mm-hmm. could say which is part of the reason, honestly, for me personally, why I also enjoy the podcasting thing, just like you do, and why I chose to lean into it is because, like, I do prefer to go deep with conversations and, like, actually get to know somebody and actually have some depth versus, like, more the one hits of some of the other platforms. So thanks for sharing that. I honestly think that's super helpful for the audience. Let's get into a little bit more now in terms of, I know you were out in California for a while, you are doing some racing, you were starting to get some coaching clients, and then eventually you made that transition over to Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? 
Yeah, I met my wife. <laughs> yeah, so when I when I uh, left Wisconsin for California, I was single, and uh, you know that was probably one of the big reasons why I was able to do what I was able to do. It's like you're not hurting or changing someone else's life and expectations and ambitions and things to chase your own as much when when you're single. So uh, timing was really good on that part. I ended up meeting my wife in 2016. Actually, I had a trail running camp. We were both. Uh, it was a trail running camp that was um, that was designed to help veterans returning, mostly from Iraq, to uh, kind of reintegrate into the community and using running as kind of that vehicle, so that they uh, could kind of transition back into real life, quote unquote. And that got that camp got pretty big, where they'd have a couple hundred uh, participants every year. So they would bring in trail and ultra marathon runners to kind of help lead groups. So. My wife and I got paired up in a group to, to lead for for that week uh, in 2016. And we actually knew who each other were before that. We just hadn't really ever connected. But we stayed in touch after that camp. And then we ended up, we started dating by the end of that year. And July 2018, we got married. So she was in Dallas at the time. I was in Sacramento. And we were kind of looking for a place that would work for both of us. And for her job, she's an attorney. She works with a, like healthcare compliance for her company. And she needed a big airport at the time. So we wanted to pick a city that was going to be conducive for her to be able to hop on a plane, and get to where she needed to get quickly without having to do a bunch of layovers and stuff. And Phoenix kind of checked a lot of those boxes. It also is kind of a unique city where you've got access to a lot of trail running. You've got access to a lot of flat, flat running. You've got runnable temperature. I mean, it gets hot, but you know, you're not running through a blizzard like I was in Wisconsin or right. like she was when she was living in Northern Illinois as a kid. So it checked a lot of boxes. So we thought we we're going to start in Phoenix and kind of see there, see where things go from there. Are you too competitive? Like, is this like one of those things where you guys do a race and there's like some high degree of competitivity <laughs> there? Uh, we're both competitive for sure. I don't think we're competitive with one another, so to speak. I think it's obviously we both want to do well and it's not like it's 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 never fun to be like oh we both went to this race or we're both doing these races and you crushed it and I belly flopped but <laughs> but uh, you know I think we've we're very much more supportive where we understand like you know we're not competing against one another so like you know why why let that side of our our nature kind of like take over when it's um, easier just to support each other and kind of use that as an advantage versus a disadvantage so. I mean, she's fast. She's been uh, top 10 at the Western States 103 times, which is one of the biggest 100 milers in the world. Won a bunch of, they have these golden ticket races that you use to race into that race, which are usually really competitive, some of the most competitive, like sub 100 mile distances uh, in the country. So like 50 milers, 100, you, most of them are 100 Ks now. I think there's one 100 miler at the moment, or actually no, two, they just switched it uh, that you qualify for. So she's raced her way into that race a few times. So yeah, so I mean, she's definitely competitive as well at, at racing, but very much kind of has has her day job too, and wants to really grow and maintain that. So I think there's, I think where you get into trouble with that is when the two of you have a narrow focus on that one thing, mm. because and we've talked about this in the past where it's, and this is one of the reasons why I like to stay active outside just the training or racing. Like if I just decided to do purely athlete, where I'm going to train and I'm going to race and then do very little else. If I have a bad race, you know, that's like, you know, hitting the, the, the mid-year review and finding out that like, you know, you, you underperformed and, you know, the investors are mad at you and, you know, the, <laughs> the CEO is going to like put your job on the line or something like that. So I think like having those other areas that you can kind of sink into when others aren't 
necessarily hitting on all cylinders the way you want to gives you that kind of reprieve and that ability to kind of realize that you know that there are other things to be interested in and things that you can kind of take a break from the other stuff for so we both have those which i think really help that neither of us find ourselves in a situation where if we have a bad race or get injured and can't train the way we want we're not like miserable the way we'd maybe be if that was all we had totally man you're hitting on something that i think so often uh is a challenge for a lot of people in especially the athletic realm Mm -hmm. of uh when they like retire from a sport or something like that and then they all of a sudden have like this like massive identity crisis is because like everything they were doing was focused around this specific thing and this specific event or the specific sport and then when they didn't have it anymore, they lost who they were as a person. I know I've definitely gone through my own identity crisis as well. And I think a lot of people have. You go through those transitions of life of like, whether it's even like something as basic of like graduating college or leaving your parents' house or moving out of your town, right? There's mm-hmm. always this like identity shift that happens. I'd like to know, well, first of all, that's super awesome that you and your wife have this shared passion. Mm-hmm. And especially too in a realm of something like ultra marathon, like I sort of hinted on earlier, but I also think it's equally true of like it. I think doing something like that carries a certain mentality around consistency and doing hard things and pushing yourself and being willing to stick it out even when it sucks at mile 79 or I don't even know what sucky miles are <laughs> when you do a hundred mile race. But um, so my question would be is what do you feel like you've learned or what's been the carryover from being an ultra marathon runner and how has that shown up also in just basically life and business? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, most of the stuff I do, I feel like I draw from just the approach to building up and trying to peak for a race because there's like this dual kind of desire where you have this end product you're trying to get to but it is pretty far off. So it's kind of like, you know, same thing if I decide I want to, you know, record 50 podcast episodes in a year or something like that, like great goal, probably very motivating at the beginning. It's exciting, but you know, am I going to be that excited about that three months in? Is that goal still going to draw me out at the same level of ambition as it did when I first decided that was my goal? So you kind of have that same thing where once I decide, okay, I'm going to do this race in six months or four months, whatever happens to be, that's that big initial thing that I'm going to build everything around. But then I have to really start to put the pieces together as to where are the small wins along the way? Where are the things that I should be watching for and trying to perfect that are going to get me to where I want to be, but maybe aren't, aren't like the exact goal at the end? And how do I use those as motivation to kind of get me to a point where, all right, when I wake up today and I do this workout, this result from this workout can energize me because I'm heading in the right direction for this particular target. So like, you know, maybe I'm working on short intervals early on in a season. Am I seeing that progression with those that I want to see? Those are going to be what motivates me getting a little bit faster each one, having a breakthrough workout and then transitioning into something else like maybe long intervals or, you know, an intensity that you could do for like 45 to 60 minutes, like, like improving that. And then ultimately like building up what's kind of more foundational for an ultra marathon is that long run development. You get into that phase of training where like, okay, now I'm going to be doing, you know, back to back long runs on the weekends. Am I watching that pace kind of get down to where I want to hit for the race itself and make it comfortable so that I feel like it's sustainable and using that as motivation, kind of the same thing, you know, you do those where you you decide, okay, well, if I'm going to do 50 podcasts this year, how do I want to break them up? Am I going to do some solo ones? I'm going to do some guest ones. You know, who are the guests I want to get in? What are the topics I want to do? You start piecing that together and then you have these new things that kind of get you excited where it's like, oh, that's a cool topic. I'm glad that listener suggested that I'm going to 
put that one in the thing and learn a little more about it and, you know, try to share what my thoughts are about it. Or here's a guest that I've been trying to, you know, get to come on the podcast for a while. I was hoping I could interview at some point and they just responded and decided they, they, they would do it at whatever date and kind of using those as like little like motivators that help you get to that, that 50 in a year or whatever number it happens to be. I think it's kind of the same idea where you pick that, that, that end target and then start putting the scaffolding in to get there and everything has its unique kind of style within that but it's all kind of that same framework yeah i think the quote that it makes me think of and i try to hold on to pretty closely is uh eyes up heads down mm-hmm. kind of situation of like you kind of know where you're going but then like the day-to-day of doing it is like you're just gonna have to put your nose down and grind towards that goal mm-hmm. do you have any sort of like key metrics or key things that you are keeping an eye on to basically have your finger on the pulse, so to speak, of like that you are moving in the right direction. Cause I think oftentimes it's very easy to get caught up in the monotony of like doing all the things, right? Like mm-hmm. you're trying to consistently post on social media and you're trying to do podcast episodes and you're trying to write newsletters or uh, do outreach to clients for coaching. And it, it just feels like sometimes can be overwhelming. Do you have like key things that you are keeping your eye on that um, seem to have the best, uh, metric for actually making progress towards these things Mm -hmm. yeah what i what i tend to do is the way i look at it is like with the podcast the training and racing the coaching the social media stuff any one of those things i could do like full time like i could invest that amount of time into them and when i'm honest with myself like i'm not the type of person where that would be sustainable where i could consistently do that for the however long i need to in order to be fulfilled from it as well as produce the quality of content that i want so uh the way i look at it is like i have these things that i can kind of inject my energy into they're all they're all potentially like more than i'd be able to handle so i'm going to have to let some kind of ebb and flow along with where things are at. So, you know, there was times of the year where it's like kind of very crucial for me to be putting in the right workouts. I'm usually really motivated to do them at that time because I'm getting closer to a race or something like that. And I might scale back on some of those other things just a little bit in order to make room to really lean into the thing I'm very interested in. And, you know, after a race, a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm probably tired from the buildup, the race itself, and I'm ready for a little bit of a break from that so I can take a bit of an off season. And during that off season, I can say, okay, now I've got this time frame and this passion to really lean a little heavier into the podcast. So maybe I'm going to be recording more podcasts during the time, dive into like more topics that I think are going to be engaging and interesting for the listeners and really kind of push a lot more energy into that side of things. And so for me, I think what I've been really fortunate about is usually like i've been able to keep like like a minimum for each of them where it's like i gotta produce at least this much with it like i gotta maintain a certain level of fitness otherwise i'm gonna have too much of an uphill battle to get ready for a race i have to have enough activations on social media or by the time i get interested in it no one's gonna care that i'm doing it anymore the same with the podcast if i stop recording for three months and then decide okay i'm gonna start doing five episodes a week then people might have like already unsubscribed and assumed i was like checked out Hmm. so like i have to keep a minimum amount so i kind of like over the years figured out where that is like how many coaching clients do I need to keep on board so that I'm keeping my skills sharp? How many episodes of podcasts do I need at minimum to stay like relevant in that era? How often do I need to gauge on social media in order to keep those moving in the right direction? And then what's the minimum amount of training I can do to stay in shape enough so that when I do pick an A race or a goal race, I can have the shortest timeline necessary to kind of build up a peak for it. And then if I keep them all at that minimum and then lean into one or two at a time as I'm interested in them or as the timeline makes sense, 
it gives me that kind of flexibility. And I mean, it's not perfect. There's definitely times where like, you know, for whatever reason, the opportunities all come at once and it's like, okay, I've got all these things going at once. And I'm like, you know, getting a little more stressed out than I probably should. And you usually got to kind of like take note of that and decide, okay, how can I do this differently in the future? So I'm not spreading myself too thin. Um, just like there's times where it's like, you know, you kind of have a bit of a lull where like none of them are really like, maybe you get hurt. And you, so, you know, racing is kind of, maybe even training is completely off the table and you're just not as inspired with the other things, uh, to the degree that you want, or you're not having as many coaching clients come in for, for programs and things like that at the same time. And you have to kind of figure out what do I do with this time that I would normally be sinking into one of these things. And usually at first those would bother me more, but now I think I use them as opportunities to think, all right, well, what is a new project that I would like to do or an interest that I have that I've been ignoring because these other things are consuming all my time that I can maybe fine tune? Or is there something new I can add in to either the coaching or the podcast? Or, you know, maybe it's a, a different type of like cross training modal that's going to keep me healthier longer so I don't make the same mistake and get injured again. You know, those sort of things. So I think you just start looking at those as opportunities versus uh, setbacks, I guess. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because like, this is something that honestly took me years to figure out. <laughs> and it's like, basically what you're talking about is this idea of more or less counterbalancing mm-hmm. versus like having a perfectly balanced lifestyle. I think we love to like talk about work-life balance, but honestly, that's just unrealistic to the ebbs and flows of life. Mm-hmm. Cause I totally abide by that same philosophy of like realizing there's certain times where you're going to be training harder for an event or working harder in your business or even spending time with family, right? They all kind of have this like ebb and flow, just like everything in life, just like the tides on a shore, right? It Mm -hmm. ebbs and flows. And so like, that's also something even for me recently is I just finished up actually a number of website design projects with a number of clients. And so now I have this space in my schedule and I've honestly just been like batching uh, podcast editing and newsletters and yeah. social media like a madman because like I know I now have the space to be able to focus on those things knowing that a project's coming in pretty quickly that I'm gonna have to actually refocus on something else again um, so I love that ebb and flow of life and just finding that balance I would be curious to know as somebody who's obviously I can personally relate to the challenges of being able to actually just like also find time to rest and relax mm-hmm. uh, especially as me as like a single guy with like really no obligations other than like, when do I going to eat my next meal? (laughs) What do you do to like relax or chill or disconnect or shut down? Yeah. You know, I guess I'm, I'm probably spoiled in the sense that so much of what I would do as like a hobby (laughs) ends up kind of being my job now. Uh, so to a degree, I, I kind of like probably have to do less of that than maybe I would if I was doing a job that I hated and it's like, then you kind of really have to find those times to kind of like reset. Mm. Um, and I mean, my, my jobs, the stuff I do can be stressful, especially when there's deadlines. And I mean, it's physically stressful to run a hundred miles. It's physically stressful to peak for a race and things like that. So I think that's the one that probably like I have to pay the most attention to, you know, fortunately I'm a really good sleeper. So like, that's a huge piece of that puzzle is that recuperation at night. So, you know, if I had a hard time sleeping, I think that would make a lot more challenging because then I wouldn't, have uh, I would need to find ways to like you know give myself rest and recovery from not getting it at night Mm. but yeah I mean just in general like I think like doing things that are just a little bit different that allow me to kind of disconnect from these other things so whether that be like going on a week trip somewhere and maybe instead of focusing on peaking for running or watching running stats just you just go hike or something like that 
or you know my wife and i maybe we'll just go to a movie theater like on three o'clock on a sunday when it's super hot outside just to sit in dark cool climate and relax and not think about anything other than that movie i think that's like you know some of these escapism type things are like you know they can obviously be a problem if you're escaping to them all the time but you know you do need to turn your brain off every once in a while and you don't want that to be running and firing on all cylinders all the time so if you can just like find something like that to really let everything kind of reset and then i just think you kind of come back like a little more recharged and motivated to to do the things that you kind of put on pause in your mind for a little while did you see the new top gun i did yeah what did you think i liked it a lot Some, i thought so. i thought it was good i uh i ride a black motorcycle and uh somebody called me tom cruise the other uh, day <laughs> it was a nice little e- ego bump yeah no kidding yeah <laughs> I think I, I think we were just ready for that movie. Like I think just as a whole, like I think just like everything that's like happened over the last few years, just like that movie was so like kind of Americana. Like it was just mm-hmm. like all right, cool. That was that was a fun watch. That was, it felt like kind of going back in time and watching the original Top Gun for the first time, even though you can't do that since you've seen it already. Right. <laughs> Let's move forward a little bit in this journey then. So you were out in Phoenix, Arizona for a while. You were training, obviously still coaching at this point. And now you've found yourself in the incredible city town of Austin, Texas. Why? Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, like I said, my wife had been in Dallas for 10 years. So she's she's really enjoyed her time in Texas when she was here. And, you know, had she not met me, she'd probably still be in Dallas. So, you know, we, we would have probably considered Austin originally when we moved to Phoenix, other than just logistically for work at the time. It just didn't make sense. So during the pandemic... Um, I mean, it's kind of uncertain time for everyone, right? Where it's like, no one really knows what's going on and how is this going to impact my life, my job and all that stuff. And for us, it like, you know, all our stuff sort of just went remote for a while and hers went completely remote to the point where she doesn't travel for work hardly at all anymore. So we no longer needed to be tied to like a really good airport that can direct fly or anywhere in the country. And I started doing more, I was doing some marketing stuff for one of my sponsors, uh, kind of on the side a bit in kind of the, the Arizona, New Mexico area there. And then during the pandemic, all that stuff went remote. So then once we kind of got through the pandemic, we were just kind of deciding what we wanted to do. If Phoenix was something we were going to stay at long-term, we were actually looking at possibly getting like a cabin somewhere up in Colorado to go to during the, the hot summer months. Hmm. And kind of in that process, we just sort of unearthed like, you know, is Phoenix where we really want to be now? And we started kind of considering like how our lives had changed over that couple of years and where our options were at. And I actually ended up in Austin, I think five times last year. And after like the fourth or fifth time, one of my friends who had just moved to Austin, Justin Wren, he's got a, a big charity called Fight for the Forgotten that uh, builds wells in, in Africa. And now they're doing like regenerative farms and even building a hospital over there. So he had moved to Austin and I was hanging out with him and he's like, how are we going to talk Nicole and let you move to Austin? And hmm. I was like, I don't think you got to convince Nicole. I think she'd probably pack her bag immediately if I went home and said, hey, you want to move to Austin? Mm-hmm. So like when I got back, I just like mentioned it to her as like, we were, we had been talking about like, you know, maybe checking out of some place in Colorado and what are your thoughts about moving to Austin? And then thinking about what, wh- what we'd want to do in the summer after we kind of figure that out. And she was like, she already books the flight. Yeah. She was pretty well set. So we, we actually <laughs> flew out maybe a month or two after that, just to meet with a realtor and see what the, you know, the market was like and just where we'd maybe want to live in town and things like that. So we got a feel for it. Um, we were fortunate, our, like Phoenix grew a lot during the pandemic too. So we had bought our house there in 2018 and it, it just like skyrocketed over the pandemic. 
So we, we were able to sell that very easily. And then, I mean, the market here has been crazy as well. So we sunk that and then some into our house here, but we were able to do enough of our homework over that end of last year to when we closed on our, we closed on our house in Phoenix, I think on like January 10th or something like that. And just had a rental out here, or we actually had an Airbnb rental for a month that we were going to just kind of look for houses and just re up on if we needed to. And we were fortunate and got into town on I want to say like a Saturday night, looked at a few houses on Sunday, found one we really liked and put an offer in and had accepted by mid midweek. So we were on that 30, 30 day uh, closing timeline at that point. We only had to rent for like maybe five or six weeks here before moving into that. And yeah, so, you know, it just Austin makes sense for both of us. There's a lot to a lot to capitalize on with podcasting in Austin. It's got, I think, a lot of fitness, health, running community here. So like I'm I'm looking to kind of build in some like group runs and things like that, some in-person stuff. That's kind of like my next stage. I do a, all my coaching is basically remote. It's all like Zoom call, like email, like spreadsheets and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'll meet my clients in person occasionally, but it's not like, you know, every week we come here on a day and if you want to come and run, we can do this. So that's something I think I want to like start doing in Austin. I think it's got a great setup for that here too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're stoked. We love the vibe here in Austin and I think we'll be here a lot longer than I was in California or Arizona. (laughs) Yeah, man, we're glad you're here. And honestly, to your point about just like the community and culture here, that's obviously hence the podcast, why I'm here as well is just that, that health and fitness and wellness community here in Austin is just incredible. And everyone is so kind and generous and supportive and helpful and like people want to connect. And so yeah, it's hard to argue if you're into that stuff, if there's really that many places other to be than Austin, honestly, for so many of those things. You and you also, too, just I really wanted to touch on, which is, I think, important for people to note is like you mentioned, like you're doing a lot of online stuff in terms of like the coaching. Do you want to do more in-person stuff? Is that because like you just feel like you want that relationship with the clients and customers or what's kind of the reason there? Yeah, I think uh, one of the drivers there is there is something that is uniquely special about like human interaction when it comes to coaching and training and like actually watching someone do a workout or doing a workout with them versus you know hopping on their spreadsheet after and reading their analysis and looking at their gpx files and things like that that i have uh sort of i think i think if i miss anything the most from teaching it was that in-person interaction now you know working for myself mostly remote you know, I can, I could easily like isolate myself from like real person interaction if I wanted to. And I just don't think that's healthy or something that I'm interested in kind of having be, be kind of a constant. So running is given so much to me. And I think I've learned and grew in the sport through the in-person aspects of it, whether it was being on a cross country team in high school or college or training with a friend for a race in the summer or something like that. Uh, you know, that sort of, I think that's what really like built my enjoyment in it and what kept me doing it before it was something that I could make a career out of. And, you know, if I can kind of like introduce that aspect of the sport to other people, I think that's just something that would be unique that I can't do with the remote coaching. So that's kind of the big driver there. And, and the pandemic definitely made that a lot more desirable too, because then you're in a position where it's like a lot of what I did was grew during the pandemic, but 
it grew in a lot of ways that are non-intrapersonal or like non-in-person, I guess, is maybe a better way to say it. So I think there's just, there's probably a little bit of like craving that side of things too. What, uh, somebody else is kind of in that spot of like wanting to build that community or building even like the remote side of things of like the, the content and the community, what could you maybe recommend to them in terms of like, let's say they have an audience or they're trying to grow that audience in terms of getting sponsorships, uh, getting affiliate marketing, that side of things. Cause I know like the main pieces of your business at this point is obviously the coaching, the athletic sponsorship stuff, and then also podcast show, mm-hmm. like from a, a sponsorship affiliate side of things, like what could you maybe recommend to other people? Yeah, I think, I don't know that there's any necessarily like surefire way, you know, there's definitely things that I, there are things that kind of work well, work well for some people or work well in some situations that maybe aren't going to be universally applicable. Uh, I mean, but really at the beginning, you kind of just got to reach out. It's like, it's pretty rare that early on sponsors are going to just come and find you. You know, usually (laughs) if they're finding you, it's because you already did something right. So, you know, you kind of got to get through that part early on where you're still trying to get enough downloads or enough interest in whatever it is you're doing that like the sponsors are willing to kind of reach out to you. So I think like if you already have stuff moving in the right direction, like reaching out to them isn't a bad idea. Or, you know, maybe it's something where like, you got to hustle with uh, with something else for a while and say, hey, um, this isn't going to be monetizable for a while. And I, I have to like this enough to do it for free for a couple of years so that I have a big enough following where then it is, you know, you don't necessarily want to reach out too early because if you don't have a lot to offer, then you don't want to be burning bridges with sponsors who, you know, would otherwise be be great partners for you down the road when you do have kind of a mutual benefit with them where you have a big reach and, you know, they are interested in what your topic is or what your lifestyle is like and what you're doing and things like that. So, I mean, and that's the hard part. I mean, most entrepreneurs or, or self-employed folks probably spend a good chunk of time investing sweat equity into whatever it is they're doing for a while before it ever turns into something that they can have a career sustainably and from from an economic standpoint so i don't think it's really any that much different than that but um it doesn't hurt to be reaching out to people you know talking to folks because a lot of times it is who you know in a sense where like you know you get to know the marketing team for x product that you enjoy and then when it does come time where you have something to offer them they're probably going to want to work with you because they already know what they're what to expect from you versus someone that they've never met before yeah it's the classic uh 10 year overnight success. Yeah. Right. I like that you said to a couple years, because mm-hmm. I often I think people think like a couple months. It's like, no, man, this is a, a long play. And yeah. when we say long play, we're talking years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important reminder. Yeah. And if I think like, you know, if I look at my timeline with it too, it's like, you know, in, in high school, I ran cross country and track as you know, you know, I wasn't getting paid to do it, obviously, you know, I didn't have a trajectory that would indicate I was going to ever get paid for it. So I had to like it, I had to be willing to sacrifice my free time to do it. So it was a big sign to me when I wanted to keep doing that in college, same situation, I went to division three school. So there was no scholarship there, they weren't carving out like, X amount of extra time to help you make sure you're staying on top of your academics. It was like, hey, if you want to do this, get ready to invest you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 hours a week in a track and cross country alongside whatever it is you're doing in school. So maybe you got to take out more loans so you don't have to have a job so you can do the track and cross country. So I definitely knew I loved that enough and was willing to sacrifice time to be able to do it. So then when it came 
to a point where, you know, sponsors were reaching out and I was putting up race results that were recognizable enough that, uh, you know, places and wanted to partner with me. People wanted to listen to the podcast and things like that. I already knew that it was something I was going to be doing anyway. So it was almost like, it didn't feel like finally I got my break or I didn't feel like as I was trying to get there, like, why isn't anyone sponsoring me? I'm doing all the right things. Cause that's just, you know, you see that sometimes like in, especially in sports, I think where someone's like, Hey, I'm doing well, I'm winning these races. I'm act, I'm engaging online. Why does no one want to sponsor me? And it's like, you just be patient, you know, be patient. And, and if, if you, if you're not patient, it may be a sign that you're not doing the right thing in terms of like the activity that's actually bringing you joy anyway. So then maybe it's not a career path you want to carve out into to begin with. Yeah. And you hit a word that I like a lot, sacrifice. I think all desires have some degree of sacrifice, right? I have a, a bit of a history in just doing some like competitive physique, bodybuilding type stuff. And I have a group of buddies that are doing three of them, specifically a show out in uh, LA in November. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to pull me into this. And obviously, cause they know my history with it and something that they wanted me to do with them. And after I talked to my cousin about this, who's also done some shows and was going to help me for it. She was basically, she's like, do you really, do you really want to right? Like, mm -hmm. are you willing to make the sacrifice to do it? Because everything comes with a sacrifice. <clears throat> and long story short, I'm not like, I'm so focused on the other things in my life right now in terms of like this podcast show and my business and the community here in Austin that I'm just not willing to make that sacrifice, <clears throat> excuse me, to do that right now. And so I think that's always an important reminder for people of just keep in mind that the things that you desire, whatever they are, it's, it's great to have desires, but also understand like there's a price to be paid and are you willing to pay it essentially? Yeah. I mean, I ask myself that every time I like pick a race. So like it gets easy to, cause I mean, ultra marathon is such a wide scape or landscape of different things you can do. I mean, you can do like 50 kilometers and then you can do them on flat surfaces or mountainous surfaces at sea level at 10,000 feet. And then you can, you can go multiple days and like everything in between. So it's like when I pick a race that I want to do, I always ask myself, okay, well that's the race you're interested in, but look at what the training is going to entail to get ready for that specific race. Mm. Are you interested in doing that? style of training. If not, you should pick something else that is going to be more conducive to the type of training you're interested in doing or motivated to do right now. And that's going to probably yield a better result at the end anyway, because you're going to be more consistent. You're going to be more tuned to the, to the details and making sure you're doing all the, like the tertiary things, right. As well as the like foundational things. And it's just going to, it's just going to compound into a much better position that you're going to be on, on, on race day. than if you, you know, pick this race that looks cool on paper, but you're pulling teeth to do the workouts required for and half the time you bail out on those and do a different one because it's more enjoyable. And yeah, it's just, it's always worth looking at that process and deciding. I'm sure with, with that particular, the bodybuilding one, you got to think like, well, am I going to, am I ready to do a 16 week cut after I bulk or whatever it is? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and tracking every calorie that goes into yeah. your mouth and yeah. all the water and potassium and sodium and all those things you hit on something that I love that I've never thought about until you just said that is have the goal but then also ask the question of like are you willing to go through the process to have that because i think that's insanely applicable to every endeavor right like let's say for example you wanted to do a youtube channel mm -hmm. well now the question is like okay obviously the goal is i want to have we'll say a million subscribers but then do you enjoy editing videos do you enjoy yeah. recording videos do you enjoy cutting up the time to like 
do your hair and makeup to like look good for the video if that's even a part of it or if that's even necessary right or even like a a business right like let's say you want to open a gym cool do you like sweeping up gym floors yeah do you do you like cleaning towels do you like cleaning equipment right because that's a part of owning a business and not to say that you always have to do those things forever but there has to be some degree of enjoyment of the process of whatever it is you're going after right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you have to be able to you have to be tolerant of the parts that you don't want to do that aren't enjoyable so that the parts that you do enjoy are that much more meaningful, I think, mm. in, with a lot of it. So I think, I mean, your gym, your gym owning thing was 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 a great example because I think it's like, it's like anything like that where there's going to be a lot of background stuff that is not enjoyable. But if you're able to to do that, it sort of feels better almost because like, you know, if I go and do something I want to do and I finish, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, of course that was fun. I wanted to do it. Whereas if I finish a task that moves me forward in something I'm interested in, but I didn't want to do. There's something about that. It's almost kind of like a hard workout too, right? Where it's like, no one really wants to go to the well in a workout. <laughs> no one really wants to pull that last lever. They, you know. But then when you do it and you finish, you're like, that was great. I'm glad I did that. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, no one wants to sweep the gym floor, but when you sweep the gym floor and you look at, wow, my gym is spotless. These mm-hmm. my customers are going to be thrilled when they come in here tomorrow and they're working out in this spot. You know, there's a little bit of like kind of like aftermath fun, I guess. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, learning to enjoy the juices in the journey as my good buddy would say. <laughs> What's the most expensive mistake you've made and that could be monetarily or emotionally? I, I think I'll probably go with the emotional side. I don't think I've made like any drastic financial mistakes that I mean that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's been opportunities I've missed that sure. if, like if I knew what I missed out on, I'd be like, oh, Bitcoin. Why? Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. Why didn't I put all my money in Bitcoin yeah. in 2015? Right. But like the, the one that I'm, I'm hopefully going to remedy this at some point, but I mentioned Justin Wren, my buddy uh, earlier in the podcast, and he has this great organization that, I mean, his story is phenomenal. He you know, basically was was bullied severely as a kid, but ended up kind of becoming a very high level athlete. He was like a national champion in Roman Greco wrestling, became a, he was a UFC fighter. I think he was second at Ultimate Fighter on one of those seasons and, uh, you know, had a whole career in that. And along the way, he realized he wanted to uh, really help out people who were unfortunate or had like, you know, just like the most forgotten people. So he started this foundation called Fight for the Forgotten. And they started out just building wells in, for the Pygmy tribe in the Congo. And it's grown immensely over that time where now they've built like hundreds of wells. They've built farms, houses. They're actually raising funds right now to build a hospital there um, and things like that. And uh, in during the pandemic, I was starting the planning for this big fund, this big like uh, project that would help fundraise for that where I was going to run from San Francisco to New York or across is a transcontinental run. It's like a 3000 mile run. The record is like six weeks. So it's like a pretty long project. And I got hurt like literally a month, five weeks to a month before I was going to start. So I had to cancel it. And I I think I learned, I mean, you sink a lot of time and energy into just like the idea of, okay, I'm going to be running across the country at the end of this year. And then all the training and stuff that goes into that. And then just like the whole, like the emotional pull of I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this for a friend and his, his, awesome organization and things like that. And I think what I learned through that is like in order to do that right, I think I have to kind of like reconstruct the way I'm built in order to you know make it across the country sustainably because it's like 
it's not about being fast as much as it is about not breaking. So like what makes me or what I'm able to do to be at my best for say like a hundred mile race or a marathon or a 50 miler or some of these like single day type things, I think is different than what it needs to look like in order to spend six plus weeks on the road every day, getting up slogging for 12 to 14 hours. So like, um, I'm definitely going to revisit that project and, and hopefully make it something big and exciting and drive a lot of interest towards fight for the forgotten with it. But it's something I have to kind of be patient with and recognize that if I want to, you know, get, get around to doing it the right way, I'm going to have to like really look at like how I have to change things in my own training and lifestyle in order to, you know, kind of build, build, uh, you know, the runner that's going to make that particular discipline sustainable versus what I'm doing currently. This feels very, uh, Forrest Gump, isn't that what he did? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Fortunately for him, he he hit it out of the park on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Wow. Okay, I f- I gotta imagine something like that requires like a whole team, right? Like you mm-hmm. gotta have people traveling with you and giving you your food and places yeah. to stay and like that. You like- literally get an RV. And, I mean, this is the the standard way it's done. I think there's probably been some other ways, but it's just, this is pretty much the provable best way to do it. If you're trying to get across as fast as possible is you get an RV and you get a chase vehicle and that RV probably pulls up like midway where you're going to try to get that day. And then you have the chase vehicle kind of supplying you and you get to that RV, you do a reset and you head out for the second half of the day. The RV goes up to the stopping point for that day. You stay there that night and then you just rinse and repeat for however long it takes to get across. And I mean, you're dealing with so many variables, like, you know, you go over, um, you go over a mountain pass. It's like, you know, what if a snowstorm comes, Mm. you know, what if it's raining for like, you know, X number of days, like when do you start? So you avoid the most, the the worst potential weather. Cause you're dealing with, uh, you're, you're, you might be dealing with say like summer or winter in the Midwest. You kind of got to avoid those if you can. So it's like, there's really this real finite time window of about like early September where you can get it over, get over the get over the Sierras before winter comes in, hopefully, then head through the Midwest after the brutal humid summer has settled down at least a little bit, and then get to New York before winter sets in there. Uh, so like that's the other part of it. You got to have all those logistics in place, and then you kind of have one good shot per year if you want to really go after the record. I think so. Do you know who Mike Posner is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you see his walk across America? Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. That's gotten a lot. Uh, His, you know, there's another guy who just did it, Mike Wardian. He just went across averaging like 52 or 53 miles a day, I think. Yeah. It's a cool, like when you start looking into the transcontinental thing, you realize, oh, there's more people than I would have imagined actually do this crazy thing. (laughs) They didn't run it. They walked it. Uh Because Mike Posner, I remember he got bit by a rattlesnake, I think it was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He had, yeah, there's weird stuff stories. Like someone was telling me that had done it. I I was talking to a bunch of people who had done it just to kind of get an idea of like, what am I missing here? And there's an endless number of things you can prepare for. So at a certain point, you kind of just have to say, all right, I've checked as many boxes as I can. Now we're just going to have to hope this works. But someone's telling me like stray dogs, like you get out into some of these like kind of like farm country where it's like there's there's just like a farm, farmhouse, bunch of fields and stuff. And like you're running along this old country road and then all of a sudden this dog decides to run out and see what you're doing. You got <laughs> to be careful. But I suppose that rattlesnakes are probably part of it, too. Yeah, because I, I remember watching the short clip of it and they literally had to airlift him out of there. And I think they dramatized it a little bit. They're basically like, you could have died, which is probably true from a rattlesnake bite. But at the same time, like if you have a crew with yeah. you where you can like call no, and, right away, yeah, you can get out of there. But still like, yeah, I got to imagine 
whatever a snowstorm or whatever the case might be like there's got to be so many variables that you'll never be able to predict them all what what would you say is the hardest part about entrepreneurship obviously you did the teaching thing for a while and now you're doing complete solo show uh what's kind of the the challenges of that biggest thing i think is just there's really no real off time like you're because since it's, it's always really stops with you like even if you're on vacation it's like you know there's not someone else there like I mean, they're, they're, I guess you could set it up that way where like eventually you get to a point where you're like willing to offload a lot of stuff to an employee or something like that. But, you know, for me, I'm just a one man show at this point with my own stuff. So like if my wife and I go on vacation and, you know, something comes up that like is time sensitive, it's like it doesn't nobody cares. It's not going to get punted to the other worker who's <laughs> actually clocked in which, um, you know, is the benefit of having that more kind of standard job is like when you check out, you check out and then it's like someone else's problem until you get back in there. So you can kind of check out a little more or tune out. You can't really do that as an entrepreneur. Um, and if you do and you're honest with yourself, there's always that background noise, right? Where you're like, all right, well, I'm relaxing now, but <laughs> when I get back, I've been gone for seven days and there's still probably gonna be seven days worth of things that piled up over time. So did I just give myself twice as much work when I get back or did I take a vacation? So I think that's the hardest part is really recognizing kind of where those ebbs and flows we talked about are and trying to plan that stuff strategically so that like you can kind of catch windows where even though there's probably no point where nothing will, will enter the work stream, but the least amount of things will enter it to the point where when you do come back, you're refreshed and it's not overwhelming to kind of get caught back up. Yeah, I 100% can relate to that in that uh, in two weeks, I'm going out to Smoky Mountains with a group of guys just to like really disconnect. Uh And uh, that's part of the reason I'm doing like so much like batching right now is like pre-planning for like the time that I want to for sure be able to disconnect, which has honestly been kind of a blessing in disguise of like, I'm putting in a lot of work up front right now, knowing that it'll allow me a little bit more space in my schedule. Mm -hmm. Where do you see things with your business moving forward? I mean, obviously it seems like you're kind of this like, taking it as it comes you're doing some races you're doing some coaching you're doing some of the athlete stuff like where would you like to see things going moving forward yeah i think uh i've got a lot of stuff where i like it right now so i think kind of like building that or continuing to build that is definitely a priority some stuff i think i'd like to add is like i mean what we talked about is like some in-person like activation type stuff here in austin i think would be a lot of fun also like getting maybe a little more creative with what I'm offering on the coaching side of things. Like right now I have like the individualized coaching, which can range from me just building a customized plan for them based on the race, their schedule, all the way to that plus frequent email collaboration, like phone consultations and things like that. And then I also have like these pre-made plans which follow my philosophy, but it's more like, you know, one you purchase it, it kind of gives you that outline, then you're kind of on your own in terms of like executing the plan. I want to add some more like kind of interactive components to that that are kind of in between those two things where it's like, uh, you know, some tutorials on like my nutritional approach and things like that. Like how do you implement it and put it in place for yourself and try it out to see if it works for you. Some other type of activations that are a little more, a little more kind of video based, I think, where, where it's not like one-on-one collaboration but like if someone wants to know like about a specific topic they can like access some sort of like subscription thing where it's like okay i've got all these like videos about this different type of stuff whether it be like you know a strength workout you know a specific type of training workout for running and that sort of stuff so those are kind of some some ideas that i think i'll probably try to get get rolling here in the next year or so 
Yeah, you're nailing on just that idea of having like more marginal replicatable costs, like basically ways to leverage what you're already doing. Because I'm, I'm totally with you of the, the community, the one-on-one, the relationships. Mm-hmm. But at the same time as just like purely the advantage of the 21st century and just like technology and business is that there's a lot of also other ways to whether it's an online course or it's videos or it's subscription-based software mm-hmm. or basically other ways to just kind of like move the needle a little bit on your business and like getting a little bit more. I mean, even the podcast show you're doing, right? Like mm-hmm. you create one episode and that could be listened to tens, if not hundreds of thousands of times over the course of who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like doing other things in your business, I think is great for other people listening to just think about is like, how can you do something once that in turn can replicate itself many times? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think like when you get to a point where like, I mean, there, there's a point where it's like you're, like early on, especially where it's like, you know, I have to like scratch and claw to make sure I have like even enough coaching clients to make this work to a point where looking through, okay, I can take on X number of one-on-one clients and then I have to like, you know, cut that off so I have time for the other stuff. And I can do a high quality job with the clients I'm working with. So like, what do you do with those extra people that still want to engage with your content, but not necessarily through that direct part? And it's like, yeah, there's like, yeah, like you said, like nowadays there's like a limitless number of different things you can kind of do to, to, to do that stuff. Right. Even like NFTs and yeah. crypto and whatever <laughs> else you want to call. So I got 10 rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Just first things that comes to mind. Uh, first one, best business advice. I'll probably lean into what I kind of said before is like take that passion or the thing you're most interested in and lean into that heavy and let the other things kind of like fill in with it. When are you most productive? Morning. Who is your inspiration? Um, I mean, it sounds probably cheesy, but at this point, it's definitely my wife just because she does what I do on the training racing circuit, but also maintains like an incredibly stressful like corporate job. And I, I just think like, I think like when I look at what I do, it's because I work for myself. And if I mm-hmm. wasn't, there'd be a lot of compromises in there that I think that she's able to pull away that I'm not so watching her navigate that is always kind of an indication like, okay, there's probably more to give or don't limit yourself. Cause I have this example living with me. That's kind of going above and beyond. I hope she listens to this. What's <laughs> me your- too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best marketing advice, best marketing advice. I think just be yourself because it's like, you know, there's a lot of probably short term gain by just being who people want you to be. But if you want to have staying power then you I mean you need you you don't want to be something you're not and have to maintain like an alternative of who you actually are so be who you are and let the people who really want that and see that find you and it's going to take longer but when you do get like that group of people that you resonate with that like you for who you are they're going to be there and they're going to create that foundation for you in terms of what what you're trying to do so yeah how how exhausting would that be to try to be something you're not all the time oh my gosh favorite part about entrepreneurship there's so much where you look at it at the end of the day and you're like i did that like that like i put in that effort and it it came back so like you know there's downsides to that too like if you mess something up you know it comes back to you but knowing that like your fingerprints are all over that i think there's a certain level of fulfillment there uh that you don't really get when you're just being told to do something Totally. What would you change about yourself? You know what I would probably, what I would change is like, I think like one thing that I have to be really mindful of is 
when I do get interested in something, it gets really easy for me to kind of dive into it and then maybe not quite do a thorough assessment before like, is this really something I want to dive into? And I've, I've been fortunate where like a lot of stuff has, has worked out so that it kind of creates that foundation where it, where it ends up working. I definitely get, get excited and curious really quick. So like there's, there are things where it's like, this is going to be a dead end if I would have given it a little more time and thought before kind of jumping into it and you just, I'm wasting time. Mm. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that one. Uh, what is success for you? Uh, success for me, I think is setting a goal and, and, and accomplishing it. I mean, it's as simple as that really, it doesn't necessarily have to be in any one thing. You know, I think of like anything I've done at a certain point, it comes back to this idea of like, when I finished that, I'm confident that I did everything I could personally to get that as good as I could, whether that be like a race where, you know, you know, for me, it's like. I want to know how fast I can run a hundred miles at the end of the day. When I run my last race, I want to walk away saying, okay, I know for a fact that I could not have run a hundred miles faster than that. Or, you know, what I did got the most out of myself and I, you know, that's what I want. So whether it's good, great, or bad, relatively speaking, if I know that it was my best effort, I think that is, that is what I'm really looking for with that stuff, that kind of self-exploration and development. Yeah, I think we relate a lot in the sense of just like being self-competitive. I remember mm-hmm. for this like competition with the guys I was telling you about out in California coming up here, he like one of the guys was just like very concerned about like being able to compete and who he's going to compete against. And it's like, listen, you're going to show up as the best version of yourself. Yeah. What, what else? Are, what else is there to do other than that? Right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's all you're really after. What's your favorite part about Austin? Favorite part about Austin is just the variety. I mean, you can find almost anything here. And you know what? You know, now that you mention it, though, going down to Town Lake on Saturday or Sunday, that place is so packed. And I mean, some people are thinking, like, why would you want to go go down there? It's like, but I think it's just so cool. You have this like resource here in Austin, like pretty much right in the middle, and it's like a perfect ten mile loop around. And you, I'll go and I'll run a loop around there on a Saturday or Sunday, and there are like a dozen people doing different things all the way across between paddleboarding, running, walking, cycling, uh, swimming, canoeing, fishing. I mean, you see everything down there. You, you see people doing yoga and calisthenics and stuff. Like it's just like such a interesting like atmosphere from a health and fitness standpoint, I think is like, if you're even awesome the weekend, you do yourself a favor and get down to town lake and see what everyone's up to. <laughs> yeah. I walk, I walk that trail almost every day and, uh-huh. uh, you're right. Like there's just such a variety of activities, spike ball, soccer, pretty much feels like every other day, volleyball. Like, I don't feel like there's an interest. People flying drones around. Yeah. Jumping off the bridge. Yeah, bridge jumpers. That's a big one. You find a rope swing every once in a while out there. Oh my (laughs) gosh. When were you the happiest? I mean, I like to think I'm probably the happiest now. Uh, You know, I've had, I'm at a point where... I've accomplished a lot of things that I would have never dreamt I would have ever been able to do when I was a kid, but I also have a lot of opportunities to build on those and further them. So I've kind of got this great balance right now of, you know, even if it all ended today and I had to completely turn directions, I could walk away and say, you know what, I far exceeded what I would have ever expected as as a 12 year old or whatever age you want to pick. But since that isn't the case, I also have stuff to look forward to. It's not like, oh, I've already done that. Now what? Hey, you seem like a pretty happy guy. Last question. Tell me one secret or something that most people don't know about you. I've got one that not everybody knows, but most people probably don't, 
one of my first jobs was working at Circus World Museum in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And that part people probably know, but what they maybe don't know is, so Circus World Museum is a circus, obviously, but they have, I mean, it's the full thing. They have like the big shot, big, big top show where they do all the stuff. When I was working, I was only like 14. So like I got paired up with these two guys whose dad actually kind of managed the place. And for whatever reason, they, they were like four or five years older than me, but for whatever reason, they, they liked having me around. So it'd be those two guys and me working in the big top concession stand store. So what we, we had this opportunity where they would do intermission, where they wouldn't be doing any of the acts and stuff like that. And people could get up, get drinks, food and stuff like that. So we would do this little like, like one minute little like advertisement for the concession stand. And uh, we would go out there and do like tricks basically. And like I learned how to juggle hmm. through that. So wow. Probably. <laughs> I actually don't know if I can juggle anymore. It's been so long since I've tried. I probably could if it was something like small and round. I was going to say, <laughs> was it like the bowling pin style or was it like tennis balls? Definitely not bowling pins. More tennis balls. Tennis balls, golf balls. That Those guys could do a lot more. They were, they were, they could juggle random things, do tricks and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it was, I was definitely the loser of the three when it came to like displaying any talents on, <laughs> on that one minute of fame that we had out there. I was a big yo-yo fan as a kid and doing like all like the different tricks, the tricks and shapes yeah. and like uh-huh. making Eiffel Tower and whatever. Yeah. Was. Yeah. I, I think when I was in like eighth grade or seventh grade, yo-yoing was pretty popular for a while. And it was kind of funny because they would have like all those weird aspects like, oh, I got the this bearing spins for two minutes. versus. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I'd go to stores in yeah. the mall and they would talk about like these bearings versus that bearings. Yeah. You can nerd out on anything. <laughs> It's like salt shakers from yeah. our original conversation. Before I ask my final question, um, I just want to acknowledge you for leaning into your passions and honestly deciding to choose yourself. Because I think a lot of people can relate to that of like that point of just like really realizing that what they're doing just isn't that fulfilling to them and wanting to branch out and do their own thing and to just like, regardless of like what's going to happen, at least going after it just to see what happens because so often I think we're stuck in just like the golden handcuffs of like, yeah, the job pays well and like I'm mm-hmm. safe and I'm comfortable, but like you, I feel like you miss out on a lot of fulfillment by doing that. So I just want to acknowledge you for just making that leap and making it happen and finding yourself here in Austin, Texas. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Final question. If you were to start over from ground zero business related in terms of like what you're doing with your coaching and the podcasting and the social media stuff, what piece of advice would you give your younger self or even somebody else that was maybe in that phase, like kind of like you were, where you were still working your job and you, you needed somebody else to be like, Hey idiot, like go do this. Um, what's maybe the best piece of advice you could give that person just to get them moving in the right direction. So if I'm going back and telling myself something, I think I would avoid telling myself anything about running because I feel like I kind of like worked into that at a slow enough pace where I learned to enjoy it. Like if I had known when I was say 14 and going out for cross country that one day I would be doing running related stuff as a profession, I think I probably would have like overthought it, made a bunch of mistakes that would have ruined the learning aspect of it or like the gradual aspect to it. So when you're young and early, try not to overthink too much stuff. And I think that's going to keep you curious and keep you open-minded enough to see the opportunities a little bit better, or maybe let the opportunities come to you when, when you're ready for them versus trying to get into them too soon. I think I see that a lot where someone decides, oh, I want to be that person or I want to be that thing. And that drives them so much. They start to force things that they're not ready for, the people they're trying to force it on aren't ready for them at, and then it ends up backfiring on them 
to that degree, I think being mindful of, of allowing yourself that time and that kind of evolution with it. But then at the same time, making sure you're aware of the opportunities are there. Like if I had to go back and do some stuff over, I would have definitely gotten into social media activations and things a little bit earlier. You know, I, I leaned to the podcast stuff pretty heavy as a guest, like using that as a way to launch stuff on social media a little quicker. And even, even with coaching stuff, maybe like start getting a little more creative with the type of offerings I have sooner versus when I did so that those things would have been in place when I had some opportunities to really kind of talk about authentically enough where more people are like kind of interested in have the opportunity they want from me that maybe wasn't there at the time but is now or i hope to have available at some point yeah following your genuine curiosities as opposed to trying to force a passion on yourself i got to tell you my one run story before we wrap yeah. up here so we briefly talked about the raw running group here in town so probably about I, don't know, I think it was probably three weeks now ago maybe four weeks ago i was doing a lot of running around the ladybird trail that you were just talking about uh mostly because not necessarily i'm a into running i actually was just doing it as walking but i'm also a competitive person mm -hmm. so to your point i was kind of like forcing this like i'm gonna run it because everybody else is running on this trail and i'm competitive and i was like screw you <laughs> and uh and so like i started running this trail and also being from the midwest i actually notoriously just like don't drink a lot of water right and so i go to this running group and partway through this raw running group one of the afternoons i'd been doing a lot of training leading up to this like my groin started to hurt and I was like, that's weird. And we get back to the bar where we meet at for the raw running group. It's a mean eyed cat over here down the street. Mm -hmm. And I go to the bathroom and I peed straight blood. Oh, no. Just straight red. Right. <laughs> and you've probably had this experience, but that was the first time I've ever in my life had that experience. And like panic mode sinks yeah. in. Right. I'm like, oh, God, like what <laughs> happened? And I call one of my good buddies. He's a functional medicine doctor. He didn't answer. So then I texted him and I was like, hey, man, piss blood, need medical advice. And he's Light like beer instead of uh, IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's like, he sends like some joking text back. And I was like, no, man, like, I'm serious. Like, I need medical advice. Right. And he calls me and he's like, hey, man, like, I'm sorry. I, I totally thought you were joking. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and I pretty much told him exactly what I told you. I was like, just like been running a lot, like did this running group, peed blood, whatever. And he's like, yeah, you don't normally drink a lot of water, do you? I was like, no. He's <laughs> like, yeah, man, like you for sure stressed your kidneys. Yeah. And I think it's like called rhabdo maybe. Rhabdo, yeah. 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 And uh, at first I was like, do I need like an antibiotic? Like yeah. what do I got to do? Like how do I fix this? He's like, no, man, just like get a bunch of electrolytes, drink a bunch of water, you'll be fine. And he was right. Like I'm fine now. And like I drink so many electrolytes now. Um, but honestly, like the worst part about the whole thing was like it burned mm, yeah. a lot. And I was asking him about that. And he said because blood has a different pH level yeah. uh -huh. than urine that it can be like acidic. And so like I have not run since. Um, but I, I would like to get back into it. How long ago was that? Maybe three weeks ago. Oh, really? So that was really recent. Then. Yeah. Maybe, okay. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. I actually will hear. He was the one that I was running with when this happened. And uh, yeah, so he knows the story as well, but I would love to get back into running. So maybe not with you. You're way <laughs> too intense for me, but uh, for sure would love to get back into it. But Awesome. Well, you'll have, to, you'll have to come out for one of the group runs once I get that up and running. It'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Zach Bitters, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you're looking for simple, actionable tips on how to market your health and fitness business or need help with your website, just go to coreyha.com. Thanks again, and keep hustling, my friends.